Welcome to the podcast, Inside Out. If this is your first time joining us, this is a story that you've arrived in the middle of. It's best to start at episode one. This is season two, My Life Inside a Federal Prison Camp. Season one is the truth is the first victim. And it would be best if you started season one, episode one, and worked your way through. New episodes drop every Sunday. We're so glad you're here. This is Inside Out. I'm your host, James Catledge. Welcome aboard. Okay, so I've been at Mendota Federal Prison, the medium security prison, for about two months. And we have these days marked on a calendar that we've created with paper and pencil. We've literally created a calendar. We've marked the days, marked uh, Monday through Sunday. We've marked, crossed them off each night. We they do it almost ceremoniously. Uh, Chiwas and I, before we say goodnight, we literally mark another day off, another day down. And uh, this is what it's like inside a federal prison. You're counting every day. It, every day counts. And I don't care if you got two years, five years, ten years, you're counting every day. Because every day is absolutely miserable. So we we mark our last day off. It's been like 63 days, I think. And, you know, remember, I, I had the golden ticket. I, I, I filled out my mother's automobile description license plate back at Taft. I, I was told by this unit manager that, that I was on some list that qualified me under uh, Attorney General William Barr's get out of jail program to get out and to leave, and that I qualified for that. My attorneys have filed motions to get me out on compassionate release. We filed a very extensive motion with all sorts of medical records to the judge to get me out for COVID. We don't know. We don't know if this is a death sentence. We have no idea what's going on with this COVID at this point, but I'm not out. I'm in. And we've marked day 63 off on the calendar. Lights out in the flat, unit uh, 228. Uh, we go to bed. Now, the next morning, bright and early, we always get up as the sun comes up because it comes crashing through the windows. Our, our lone window, our skinny window in the back of the cell where the light comes in from the east. So as that light starts to fracture its way into our cell every morning, it's somewhere between 5.50 and 6.10. Uh, Chiwas jumps off the top bunk, goes down the ladder on the back of the bunk, and prepares for them to unlock the door for him to be out for the day because he sweeps and mops and cleans the phones off with the special COVID chemical. He cleans the computer keyboards off so inmates can do their email and not get the COVID uh, germs. And then, of course, he's doing whatever the guards ask him to do because he's out. He's an orderly. And he's still the only orderly allowed out of the cell. Well, I start doing my workout routine. I'm doing push-ups, regular push-ups on the concrete floor. Then I do some decline push-ups where I put my foot up on the bunk. And then we, uh, you know, we do the push-ups. And then, then I do incline push-ups where I put my arms on the bunk and my feet are down. And so we get the upper chest. And I do that, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes. We're doing push-ups and sit-ups and tricep extensions, all sorts of 
workout. It's it's kind of a routine. Uh, He will bring me some coffee, actually. He's figured out a way, literally, this is so crazy. He's figured out a way through the crack in the door, and it has still to this day physics. I don't quite understand what he's doing. But he's got hot water in a rolled-up cone of paper, rolled just rolled up, eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. He's double rolled it so it didn't burn through the paper. He's figured out how to stuff the paper through the crack of the door, elevate his side, de- descending angle on my side as it comes through, and then he pours water through that cone into my coffee cup on my side, and it's it's as hot as can be. It just heats up the coffee. So I have have coffee grounds from commissary inside my locker. So every morning he brings me that water. I'm the only one I think getting coffee until they unlock the doors because he's figured it out and I'm his cellmate. And thank goodness I've got Chiwas as my cellmate because he knows every little angle uh, to, to make life a little more comfortable. Well, it's probably 930 and the guards are all uniformed up. You know, they've got the badges. They they do have guns. We're in a medium. They've got batons. They've got handcuffs. I mean, they look like police officers. And so as they're walking the unit, unlike at a camp where they, they don't have a baton or a gun, they, 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 at a medium level of security, they do. And I believe they're lawfully allowed to shoot that weapon if they need to, you know, to get control of a situation. We we've uh, we never saw that happen, but I think they are permitted to do that. That's my understanding. They can't do that at a camp. That would be unlawful. But I believe they are permitted to do that at a medium in a United States penitentiary. So it's getting closer to 10 a.m. And one of these uniformed guards comes to the little envelope-sized piece of glass at our cell 228 and uh, looks right in. And sometimes they do this, just kind of nosing in on what you're up to. Well, he looks in, I look at him, and he, with no expression on his face, he says these words, pack out. Now, I've got to tell you, every inmate that's listening to this podcast knows what this means, but let me explain it to you who have never done time. Pack out means you're going home. And I I have a chill run through my body. The hair on the back of my neck stands up. I'm literally... Shaking with joy. And, I mean, this is the day I've been waiting on. This is day 63 at the Mendota Medium where we've not really left this cell. We've been locked down for uh, 23 and a half hours a day for two months. No sunshine. We've not had any sunshine on our face. We've not been outside. We're, you know, that has its toll. It takes its toll on the human body. Well, I'm so excited. Pack out. There's not a lot to pack, okay? We don't have luggage. I don't have a closet for clothes. I've got nothing that Chihuahua can't have. And I've got some photographs. I've got a few letters that I'm going to take. But I basically get my laundry bag and stuff seven or eight items in it. And I throw it over my shoulder and stand by the door waiting on him to come back. He comes back in about five minutes and he says, are you ready? I said, I am. He pops the lock. Opens it up. He says, listen, in 10 minutes, they're going to come and get you. Why don't you make a phone call to your family? Let them know that we're taking you now to the SHU, the segregated housing unit, where you will be locked down in solitary confinement. This is what they're doing to decontaminate you in case you have COVID. 
as a prison policy before they release you to the outside. They've got to know that the community is safe if somehow I have COVID, uh, somehow test positive for COVID, or somehow have this crazy virus. They are not allowed to release me. So they're about to take me to the segregated housing unit for 13 days for decontamination. Okay. So I call my mother. And remember, I've got like 15 phone numbers and pack numbers and inmate numbers. I mean, it's just a, a mirage, a barrage of phone numbers I've got to enter. And I'm so nervous, anxious, excited that my memory's not quite with it. So it takes me a couple of dials. And then when you get through, you then have to use your voice. And the, and the computer has to recognize James Catledge. It, you have to say the voice the same way you said it when you set the recording up initially when you first were authorized to do phone calls. And if it doesn't recognize your voice because it's high pitch, because it's cloudy, because it's you got a cough, whatever, it, it disconnects the call because it thinks somebody else is trying to use your number to dial out. So this happens a couple of times because I am a little excited. Well, I finally get through to mom and I said, mom, I'll be in uh, the shoe, the segregated housing unit for 13 days. On the 14th day, they're going to release me. I don't know if they're going to send me home on a bus or an airplane. I have no idea or whether you can come get me at the front door, but I need you to be nimble and be prepared for either way. Let Robert and David know the lawyers that this is, happening and that I'm 13 days from home, which is just an extraordinary feeling of joy. Just to say it again, just to, that, that I just cannot express to you the rebirthing that's occurring in my soul, the feeling it's, it's for an adult. I, I mean, this may, this may be what a kid feels like leaving college or maybe a kid feels like leaving home, you know, to head out into the world for the first time. I, do, I just don't know that I've ever felt this feeling before. It's just an overwhelming sense of gratitude, joy, no sadness yet. There, there's going to be sadness, but right now it's joy. So I'm on this phone. I've got all the inmates still locked in in the flat. So they're, they all of the inmate cells can look out. So they see I'm loose and out on the phone, and this is not the half hour I'm supposed to be out. So they know something's up. Catledge is out on the flat making a phone call. So I start to give the thumbs up to a couple of guys I'm looking at through their glass envelope style window in their cell and the word's starting to spread. And so I go, I've got probably seven or eight cells I need to go to directly to say bye. And so I go do that. And I go say bye to several of my very, very, very good friends. I go say bye to Fua. I go say bye to David. I go say bye to Jason. I go say bye to Jonathan. I go say bye to... Uh, AC, the shot caller for the black guys. Uh, uh, and Chino is not in our flat. He's actually Charlie 1, not Charlie 2. They moved him over to Charlie 1 because he's going to be designated to that camp. Chino Chino has got a little more time to do, but uh, he, he's in Charlie 1. So I haven't seen him yet, but I know he's over there because the guys have told me Chino's over there. Chino and I are pretty close. So it's time to go. The guards come and get me. There's one guard this time, not two. And I'm about to walk through the metal detector that I came in 63 days ago, out into the sunshine, across the yard. If you want to Google Mendota Medium, you can kind of see the yard, which is a concrete sidewalk that takes me all the way to the segregated housing unit. Well, I'm handcuffed. 
and he's got his right arm on my left arm, and we're walking, and I see Chino up against the window and Charlie Warren, and he's giving me the goodbye. And all the guys literally come to the glass of their cell looking out. Their window kind of looks out into the yard, and I'm saying bye to all my friends, and it's a little emotional. And as I walk from Charlie 2 across, there's been radio communication from the walkie-talkie of this correction officer to the main tower located at the medium where there's there's watchmen up in a tower to shut down the yard while they walk a camper across. You cannot have medium-level security inmates uh, in near proximity to a camper. It's just it's just a Bureau of Prisons policy. And so they, they've locked everybody down while they move me from Charlie 2 over to what they call R&D, which is receiving a discharge. When I walk into R&D, they're very pleasant there. You, I give them my little bag of seven items, which is my personal stuff, my personal belongings, my photographs and my letters, and I think my sneakers I'm going to go home with. They give me an orange jumpsuit. They give me orange Crocs. Now, this is the first time I've been in a jumpsuit since I left Taft to go do a medical appointment. Uh, I'm still handcuffed behind my back. And I'm in an orange jumpsuit. I guess they're prepping me to go into the shoe. Well, I leave there, and they say, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Of course, that's the 13 days. I sign for all the items that are in my thing at R&D. I sign for all the items. So there's like an inventory of what I've left them. So I, when I see it in 13 days, I can look back through that inventory sheet and see that it's all there. It's all very official. Then I go in down the hallway outside, back outside, down the hallway outside, and they knock on a door, kind of a steel door with no handle. Then the guards on the inside pop that door open, and I am not exaggerating. I am entering what I envision as hell. I am listening to people screaming like hyenas. It sounds like animal sounds. The the yelling, and I, I call it gnashing of teeth, the, the hysterical screaming, crying, the sounds of men psychologically breaking is what I am introduced to when that door pops open. The guards are jovial, almost like they're high on speed. The guards are very high energy, almost like their adrenaline is at a higher level because they're inside this hellscape. They, I, I'm a little taken back, frankly, but this is unlike anything I've seen yet in my 14 months inside. I've not seen anything like this yet. They are not friendly to me. They're, they're almost talking to me like I'm inventory. Uh, they say something to the guard I'm with. They talk to him, not me, and they say, so we got another one, huh? You know, kind of real rambunctiously. And it's almost like a cynical, sarcastic laughter that they're bringing another camper into the shoe. Uh, this, is their, this is their pathway for decontamination, just to determine if you got COVID. And then if you do, make sure they give it the 14 days to get it out of your system. So they then, while they figure out where they're going to put me inside this hellscape, they put me in like something that's about the dimensions of a phone booth, like a very tight space where my knees, I sit down in there, my knees are touching the door that just shut. 
my arms, I can't quite get them off my ribs without touching the walls on either side of me. And I've got this COVID-19 mask on. And not until this moment, when that door shut on this phone booth, did I begin to feel a breathing issue. Like, oh my God, I can't actually, my hands are handcuffed by my back. I can't move this mask. It's on my nose and mouth. And I feel like I'm having trouble breathing. And so I just try to calm my mind. I disappear mentally. I close my eyes and pretend I'm not there. And I try to block out the sounds. And I don't know. I'm there thinking this is some type of torture chamber they've got me in here. And I don't know how long they're going to leave me here. Have they forgotten me in here? I mean, these are some of the thoughts I'm having. And I just try to relax my mind and slip away. And then a guy comes to the front of this thing and he can talk right through it. It's like bars. He can talk through it. And he says, you ready? And I look up, I open my eyes. I look up and I said, yes, sir. He pops the door open. He grabs my arm because he's got to guide me because I'm handcuffed. I'm in these stupid Crocs, which are slippery and there's not good footing. He walks me up two flights of stairs. And then I'm going down what they call range 40, which every cell, let me try to describe this. Every cell is like a refrigerator door. And you do have an envelope style piece of glass that you can kind of look out just to see who's at your door. But they take me down range 40 and, and there's a 50, 50 chance. Somebody's in this cell and I'm going to be in there with somebody. But when they pop the door open, there's no one in there and I'm relieved. I'm relieved. There's a shower in there. There's a sink in there. There's a toilet in there and the windows fogged over where you're not supposed, it's frosted, where you cannot see out it. It's by design. It's more punishment. Because this is the disciplinary housing unit for inmates who cannot discipline themselves inside prison. This is where they go for an indeterminable period of time to be punished. And so this is also the Bureau of Prisons way of sending you home to make sure you're decontaminated from COVID. Well, I've got I've got since I've got these handcuffs on, they push me into the cell. And then they shut the door and I still got these handcuffs on. I'm a little panicked by that. And they, they pop open the little mail slot, which they're going to be shoving food through over the next couple of weeks. They have me back up against it and, and I'm a little tall. So I have to squat down, shove my handcuffs up against that slot. Cause they can't go out. My hands are too big to go out that slot. And they push the key through twist the lock and undo my handcuffs and then slide the handcuffs through that slot. And then my hands are free. Well, then they lock down that slot and now I'm alone. I'm alone with my thoughts. I'm alone with my new housing and I'm looking around and I'm telling you, this is a stripped down unit. There's nothing in here. There's not any sheets in here. I mean, this is a, got that little rubber mattress. I've got not even a pillow. And I'm thinking, Oh boy. And I've only got this jumpsuit. I don't even have any clothes on underneath it. I mean, it's just a stupid jumpsuit, which is made of some type of uncomfortable canvas material. And I've got these Crocs. And then that's it. And I'm thinking, I need a washcloth. I'm going to use the sink. I've got this stupid shower, which I'm not sure how dirty this thing is. And I, I get the feeling I need to clean this whole space. If I'm going to be in here 14 days, this whole thing's going to be cleaned. And so... When they come around for food, I ask them, can I get some cleaning materials in here? And sure enough, after dinner, they bring me some cleaning supplies. I clean that whole unit up. It takes me takes me through the night. 
uh, cleaning that thing up. I, I'm probably in three hours on my hands and knees cleaning every square inch of this thing, trying to make it, you know, where it's my space, where I'm nesting again, taking control of my space. And it makes me feel better, like, like, like it's mine. And I can do this and I can do 14 days in here. And I've got my exercise routine. I know what to do in a cell. And so this is day one in the shoe. This is James Catledge with Inside Out. My life inside a federal prison. So I guess I'm in here a couple of days when uh, I look up at my window from my bunk at the front door where that little envelope piece of glass is. And there's a, a Asian fellow there who does not look like a guard. And so, but he's got keys and looks like a guard may be with him. And I'm thinking, why putting a guy in here with me? Well, they open the door, which really, I got to tell you, they're usually very careful about this. This was the most cavalier opening of my, my cell door that I've experienced because they're so careful about making sure they don't get jumped that, uh, and I guess getting jumped happens, you know, with people in the shoe, cause there's a lot of angry inmates. Well, I'm, I'm certainly, they've assessed that I'm not going to jump anybody cause they just popped this door open and in walks this Asian guy in, um, scrubs. He's, he's a nurse or a doctor or works for a doctor. And he says, uh, are you James Catledge? And I said, yes, he's got like a clipboard with him. And he says, is your inmate number such and such? He reads that number off. And I said, yes. He says, what is your birthday? And he's verifying my identification, verifying me. And he said, uh, I'm going to do a COVID test. Have you ever had one of these before? And I said, no, no, I haven't. And so he says, okay, sit down here. And now there's a metal stool that's attached to my metal desk and it literally is like a child's size desk. So if you got in there real fast and swung your knees around, you'd jam them up against the metal uh, holder that holds that desk to the wall. So I pull the little stool out, sit on it. And this guy, I'm not kidding around. Maybe you've had this before, but he's going up into my nasal cavity. And he says to me, this is going to be a little uncomfortable. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, he goes in elbow deep with a stick that's got to be, I didn't know there's that much room into my brain from my nose to my brain. If I'm just thinking visually about space, I don't believe there's this kind of space for him to shove this stick up. Well, it's got like a Q-tip end on it, but it's, it's relatively long. He goes up in almost his fingertips. And I'm thinking what in the world I, I've been with myself 50 years and I didn't know that kind of access was available through the nose. So he's wiggled his way all the way up into where he's got to get this sample tissue to be accurate with his test. He comes down and he goes, I'm sorry about that. And, you know, it makes you tear up a little bit because he's gone to some place that nobody's ever been with a stick. And he, he says, I'm going to test this right now. He shoves this thing into a machine, puts the lid down on it waits for a few minutes and I'm looking at it. I want to say it's an Abbott piece of equipment and it comes back negative. He goes, I've got to do it again in two days. He goes, but right now you're negative COVID-19. 
I said, okay, that's good. He goes, yeah, it's very good. He goes, because we want to let you out of here in a few days. In order to do so, we've got to have you test negative. And he's just a real nice guy. Uh, so he and the guard, the guard came with him. The guard leaves. They lock that door back down and I'm back in my cell, but it feels like we're making progress. And so a few more days pass and I'll tell you, uh, he comes back into the door, doesn't even come in. And he goes, we don't have to do another test. You're negative. You're going to stay negative. We're going to test you the day we let you out of here. And as long as you're still negative, you're going home. Well, later that same day, uh, a counselor comes to the door and verifies my ID. And then she says, uh, I'm going to open up this food slot and give you a couple of documents. One is for the Las Vegas halfway house. They call it a residential community center. She says, I need you to read this and sign off that you've read it. She goes, so sign now that you've read it. And of course, you know, I haven't read it yet, but I sign it. She gives it to me. Uh, this is a thick book on all the rules of the halfway house in Las Vegas, because apparently, and I asked her, I said, am I going to the halfway house? She goes, no, but this is who you will be reporting to from your home confinement position. She says, all your accountability for your custody will occur at this halfway house. She says, so we need you to know the rules of that halfway house. I said, that makes sense. Thank you. So I sign her thing and I keep that book. She goes, you'll leave with this book. So it's more reading material as far as I'm concerned. So I read every page of this thing backwards and forth. A lot of it just doesn't make sense. You're not sure who wrote it, but you know, not someone with a uh, good understanding of English has written this thing. It's like written crazy. So I don't think these things get run through a big proofreading session before they're handed to inmates. But it's an official book that I think got handed to everybody who's headed to Las Vegas to be released because it's the official halfway house book that I later saw in a kind of a inbox when I got to that halfway house. There's copies and copies and copies of these things, big stapled copies for everybody to read. It's too too bad that nobody cares about the communication uh, to these guys because a lot of these guys are hard-headed. You really have to communicate very clear and, and precise in order for them to understand it. And it's poorly written. I mean, it left me questioning a lot of the things written in there. Uh, but anyway, it's all the rules, the the curfew, the, the when you can go for your job, when you have to be back, uh, all the potential violations, the need to keep a clean urine analysis so that, you know, nobody's going to be drinking alcohol. Nobody's going to be doing marijuana. There'll be no drugs, no, uh, no prescriptions that the doctor's unaware of. So all of the basic rules of the road for that halfway house are in this thing. Well, uh, that's, that's a couple of the meetings I had while in the segregated housing unit. Those are really the only two interruptions other than three meals a day. They get shoved through the slot. Uh, the doctor comes and then that counselor came to verify that I had the halfway house procedures. This is James Catlin's Inside Out. Thanks so much for listening.